The following program is brought to you by Blood, Sweat, Tears, and listeners like you. To support this show and all of the shows within Twib Nation, consider becoming a subscriber of our pay service, The Twibularity, at twib.me forward slash subscribe. That's twib.me forward slash subscribe. Or you can give a one-time donation at donate.twib.me. That's donate.twib.me. We've all learned how important media is and who tells our stories. Help us be the media that you want to hear and that the media is afraid to hear. It's kind of hard to listen to yourself become irrelevant. You are now listening to Twib FM. Real talk, real awesome. Finally, I'm finally free. Finally, I'm finally me. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, This is a very important show. As most of you may remember, we had done a mental illness podcast several months ago, um, and it was so popular, got so much positive feedback, um, and so much demand that we decided to do a part two. So if you're listening in live, we are doing part two of our mental illness podcast. We have a panel of experts experts that's going to discuss with us all aspects of it, and we're going to ask them questions. So if you have questions, um, you can do a few things. You can give us a call. We do have a studio number. It's 718-404-9320. Again, it's 718-404-9320. Or you can use Twitter and make sure that you jump in that hashtag, BGM Podcast. Um, I just noticed that I told everybody to press play because I've just I'm in Twitter live tweet mode right now. Um, but yes, don't press play. Just go ahead and follow the hashtag VGM podcast. And uh, that will put you in the feed with all of the other live listeners. And you can converse. You can ask our panelists questions. Um, you can leave comments and feedback. And if you have anything more to add to the discussion, then please um, take advantage of that. And then also on listen.twib.fm, there's also a chat room. Uh, that you can listen in and converse with other TWIB users there. So uh, before we get to our guests and I introduce each of them, uh, I want to toss it over to our co-hosts. We have two great co-hosts tonight, Tiffany and Mel. Um, So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves in that order. Um, Tell us what you're up to, your social media shout outs and, um, you know, how are you connected uh, with uh, what's going on with the mental illness community and, and really just being able to give feedback about mental health in general? Okay, um, I'm Mel. Um, I am Jane underscore non on Twitter, uh, occasional writer for the Black Nerds website. Um, I was on the first mental health podcast, so I am back again as a co-host. Um, uh, so I have suffered from depression off and on for about 15 years. So I talked about it a little bit more on the first podcast. So hopefully this is going to be a fun time tonight. That's it. So before I introduce our guests, um, I just wanted to let you know that, um, again, this topic means a lot to me personally as well. Um, I have 
two members of my family that suffer from bipolar disorder. So I always think that it's important that even if um, I myself don't suffer from mental illness, that me as a family member, I really want to have as much resources as possible um, to get from these kinds of shows. So I also feel like doing this show is is good for selfish reasons. Um, So thank you again for listening in. Um, I do want to make a couple of quick announcements before we get to our guests. So November the 7th, uh, November the 7th, that's going to be next Saturday. Check us out over at NACOCON. NACOCON is an anime con that takes place at the Hampton Roads Convention Center in Hampton, Virginia. Uh, should be a really great time. I will be on there uh, having a panel talking about social media and geek culture, along with several contributors um, and podcast co-hosts of Black Girl Nerds. So if you haven't already um, check that out on our website, also on Twitter. We sent out a newsletter this morning about the information. The panel begins at 9 a.m., and it's in panel room one, again, over at NicoCon at the Hampton Roads Convention Center. And you can always go to blackgirlnerds.com and bookmark that. There is a lot of information on the website, and to provide that to you and to be able to stay consistent with giving you that content, we would love to get your support. There's a donate button on there for PayPal on the right sidebar. Please take advantage of it. And also there are ads that you can purchase and promote all of your goods and your services to um, the Black Girl Nerds community. Um, That's through blog ads. So definitely check that out when you get an opportunity. Okay. Um, Can everybody hear me, by the way? Yes. 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 Okay. The feedback is gone, so it got really quiet. All right. So... Our guests tonight, our panel of experts, is Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford and also Dior, Viar- Dior Vargas. And I'm going to ask you to tell me how to pronounce your name, AJ, and I do apologize in <laughs> advance. <laughs> okay. Akjay Akundayo. Akjay Akundayo. So I'm going to read each of their bios, and then we're going to get to our questions. So Dr. Hoy, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford is a licensed psychologist in the state of Georgia and maintains a private practice in Atlanta. Her specialties include breakup and divorce recovery, work-life balance, and helping undergraduate and graduate students successfully navigate life transitions. She completed her bachelor's degree in psychology at Xavier University in Louisiana, a master's degree in vocational rehabilitation counseling at Arkansas State University, and her PhD in counseling psychology at the University of Georgia. Dr. Bradford is also the founder of the popular mental health blog, therapyforblackgirls.com. AJ fueled her interest for community wellness education in 2007 while working as an infant mortality case manager at the Portsmouth Health Department in Portsmouth, Virginia. She is also an impassioned proponent of utilizing creative arts to cope with mental health illness. She recently published a memoir about her experiences growing up with silical mental illnesses. And finally, Dior Vargas is a Latina feminist mental health activist. She is the creator of the People of Color and Mental Illness Photo Project, a response to the invisibility of people of color in media representation of mental illness. She is a volunteer crisis counselor for the Crisis Text Line and a co-facilitator for NAMI NYC's Metro's Young Adult Support Group. Dior is the recipient of numerous awards, which includes the White House Champion of Change for Disability Advocacy Across Generations, a Voices of the Year honoree under the Impact category at Blog Her 2015, 
Experts Among Us Conference, as well as the 2015 Alternatives Conference Cookie Gantt and Bill Compton LGBTQI Leadership Award. She has a BA in the study of women and gender from Smith College and an MS in publishing from Pace University. Thank you so much for coming on the show, ladies. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So my first question is for Dior. Um, what made you want to become a mental health activist and why focus particularly on people of color? Um, at which I should mention that, um, you know, there's health disparities among many communities of color. Uh, well, first, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's uh, truly an honor. Uh, so I've been an activist for a long time. And about two years ago, I decided that I wanted to focus on mental health. I live with depression and anxiety, and I'm also a suicide attempt survivor. And I just decided that I want to focus on a topic that uh, affects me, something that I live with daily. And I wanted to mainly talk about uh, communities of color because I think that we are usually not included in the larger conversation regarding such an important issue. Uh, there's, there, Like you said, there are so many uh, health disparities. And I really wanted to share my story. I don't think that, uh, I think when, in both communities, both uh, the African-American and Latino community, we don't really want to talk about these issues. And I thought that sharing my story would in some way provide hope to other young Latinas or other uh, young women of color who might feel like they're the only ones. That's pretty much what I felt growing up. I felt like I was the only uh, Latina in my class or in general who was dealing with these really uh, negative emotions and, and feeling very helpless. And so I just wanted to uh, through my project, create a space where communities of color could find a sense of community and uh, know that they're not alone. And just because they don't see someone who looks like them in these representations doesn't mean that it isn't uh, something that is affecting their community. And for Dr. Bradford, tell us about your organization, Therapy for Black Girls, and what inspired you to create it? Yeah, thanks again for having me, Jamie. Um, Therapy for Black Girls was something, a blog that I started, um, I believe, in September of 2014. And it was really important for me to begin focusing on um, not just mental illness, but mental health and wellness. Um, because I think a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of focus on when things are going wrong. But I really wanted to kind of um, cast some light on all the things that we could do to, to have our mental health be well um, and to really focus on mental wellness. And I think a lot of times people only think about mental health and mental illness in terms of like symptoms and problematic behavior, when really there are lots of things in terms of our support system, how assertive we are, um, what kinds of boundaries we keep with in relationships, um, all of those things affect our mental health. So my goal with the blog was really to make mental health feel accessible and relevant um, for Black women. That's amazing. Um, and then for AJ, why do you think that there's such a negative stigma towards mental health, uh, especially amongst people of color? There's things like depression that obviously fall under this category, but people are still afraid to speak out on their struggles. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, and thank you for having me as well. Mental health has uh, such a stigma. I, I blame the media uh, for a lot of that because when you think mm -hmm. mental or mental illness, you automatically think crazy and deranged, and no one wants to be associated with that. So people figure, you know, this doesn't apply to me. Specifically for black people, we like to keep our problems 
in-house, in, you know, with the family, we have this idea that, you know, we don't want to um, involve other people in our personal problems. We're supposed to keep it at home. If we survive this and survive slavery and all, it's just thinking we can survive anything. And we don't want to deal with personal problems outside the home or outside the community. So there's a stigma that there's something wrong with you. I've done something bad. So that must be the reason why I'm having this personal issue. And when we think like that, we don't understand how damaging it is. Instead of saying, hey, I actually do need help, just because I have, as um, the doc said, problematic behavior, it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm crazy off the range or anything. I don't have to get away from that. But the stigma is definitely there for a lot of poor media representation that prevents people from asking for help. And if you can get a little closer to the receiver on your phone, um, you sound a little distant, so your audio is not picking up as strong on the okay. on the podcast. Okay, that sounds better. Okay, thank you for that answer. I'm going to pass the mic over to Mel for her question. Mel, you there? Oh, can okay. you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry. I don't know what happened. Okay, so uh, my question is for the entire panel. So what advice would you give to people who want to get help for their mental illness, but either don't have insurance or lack the funds? So let's go with um, Dior, Dr. Bradford, and AJ in that order. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's really hard when you don't have insurance or lack of funds. Uh, There are some places that you can go to that are low fee or um that are are free and some of those places uh like nami where i uh facilitate a young adult support group they offer free support groups so it's free of charge uh people can can attend uh they they also have a helpline as well where you can call and get more information on perhaps other clinics or other organizations that would be able to provide a free to low cost uh support groups and other resources. Uh, There's also uh, message boards you can go to online, you know, if these people do have internet access, but those can be very helpful just to kind of share your story and just talk about what you're dealing with. Uh, There's also uh, phone apps. I think I've heard a lot of different people talk about how using their phone apps can kind of uh, ensure some sense of self-advocacy where they feel like they are in charge of their healthcare in a place where they feel like they can't really get help elsewhere. There's also a crisis tax line where I'm a volunteer crisis counselor. There are a lot of different places that you can go to. It's just the navigating and the researching that can be taxing and overwhelming. But there are some things out there, but there also needs to be an improvement in uh, creating more access to these resources. And Tiffany, we're going to toss it over to you. Okay. Uh, this, this question is for the entire panel. Communities of color, we tend to be tribal. Uh, the individual needs are encouraged to be sacrificed for the greater good of the community. And this is especially true when addressing mental illness, hence the stigmas. Uh, how can persons of color take care of self without seeming to turn our backs on the community? especially if it's the community contributing in some way to our mental illness. Discuss. (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, this is Dr. Joy, I think that 
podcasts and Twitter chats and all of the different um, social media avenues that we have where we are discussing mental health really helps to break down on a lot of this stigma. And I think the more that people hear people who look like them talking about these issues, I think that breaks down some of the selfishness um, that people think is related to receiving mental health, um, mental health treatment. And I also think when you talk with clients about um, helping them to understand how they can't be there for other people if they're not taking care of themselves, it really helps to bring things in perspective. I mean, because you're right, it is very tribal community that we're talking about. But I think, you know, the more that you can impress upon people the importance of taking care of yourself before you can take care of anybody else, they tend to really get it. If I can piggyback on that, I think it's okay to remind people that it's all right to say no sometimes. You don't have to feel bad or guilty for asking for help, for saying that, you know, you want to prioritize these demands just a little bit more. If you want to enlist the help of family members with different tasks that you have to do. Quite often, especially as black women, we take on the whole family, we carry the weight, and we fall into that strong black woman syndrome. That if I'm able to take care of everyone and everybody and leave myself last, then that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And I really want people to understand that you don't have to bear the burdens of everyone. And it's okay if you reach out and ask for help sometimes. I'm glad you mentioned the the strong black woman trope because that's a trope that just gets under my skin. And I really feel like that that is causing so many problems, not only in the mental health community, but just amongst black women in general um, being labeled with that. Um, And it's become a negative stereotype. And that's why I'm grateful for um, books like Sister Citizen by Melissa Harris Perry that really dive into what that trope means and, and how it can affect us um, as a negative stigma in so many different ways. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, does anybody else have any thoughts about that trope? Do you feel like that is something that is really causing a lot of issues in our community Um, Just being stuck with either that label or any other labels that we see that's running rampant in the media. Yes, I, this is Tiffany. I'm just jumping in. I've noticed that the trope is not just a strong black woman, but just strong people in general. And we've discussed that in the previous podcast uh, on mental health, but there's almost this attitude, especially among our elders that, well, we survived slavery and we survived, you know, separate water fountains and having dogs sicked on us and hoses turned on us. And Mm -hmm. you are stronger than this and you are, you are not allowed to have a breakdown. So that is so pervasive in our community that again, it makes us as AJ kind of touched on feel guilty for asking for help because you're then seen as the weakest link in the community. Mm. That's so true. Um, and, and this question is for Dior. Uh, for or what kind of mental health disparities are happening specifically? Because you work specifically in the Latino community. So what health disparities are happening there? And uh, where can we find resources uh, for that kind of assistance? Sure. So uh, Latinos are less likely to report mental illness uh, in, in our community. That's usually the case. And uh, Latinas have, uh, teenagers have the highest attempted suicide rate. So 
Uh, I mean, I'm living proof of, of that, unfortunately. And uh, fewer than one in 11 Latinos contact a mental health specialist. We just, again, that, that guilt, uh, that fear of being labeled as someone who is weak, I think that that's really uh, prevalent in, in our community and just communities of color in general. Uh, and then less than 55% of Latino adults and 30% of adolescents with a major depressive episode receive treatment. So there's a, a lack of, of um, you know, treatment when it comes to these communities. But in addition, um, and this is for both communities, there's a lack of minorities in, in, the, in the mental health professional uh, scene. Uh, mm-hmm. They're just not enough, which then perpetuates this uh, lack of cultural competency, lack of, uh, particularly for Latinos, there isn't enough professionals who speak the language. And so that is definitely a barrier. And I feel like when you go to a mental health professional and they're not culturally competent and they're not respectful of your specific cultural identity, the the likelihood of you going back is, is very low. And so... I think the idea of even going to a mental health professional is a lot, but then when you go there and you don't get the help that you need, I mean, that's just really unfortunate and it just continues to exacerbate uh, the lack of support that uh, communities of color have. And so in terms of resources, I mean, I'm thinking of two organizations uh, are only in New York uh, that uh, work on, on these uh, types of uh, discussions. And one of them is the Ackerman Institute for uh, the Family. They have a Latino youth and family immigration project where they focus on first and second generation Latino youth and families. Uh, they provide a monthly supportive space and other resources, which I think is really, really important. Uh, also, Communal Life is another organization that has a program called Life is Precious, and they have a program to prevent suicide in young Latinas. And they provide counseling, therapy, academic support. Uh, so they just provide a, a lot of things for, for the Latino community in general. And I really hope to see more of these spaces being created. For Dr. Bradford, if you have family members that you suspect have a mental illness, but they refuse to seek help, is there anything that you can do? That's that's a really tough one. Um, I think the most important thing is to really just let your family members know that you're there um, and to really be direct and frank with them about the symptoms that you're seeing. Um, so you want to be careful not to kind of make your own assessment about what you think may be going on, but just to point out the symptoms that you feel like may be causing them some issues. Um, I think if you can offer to accompany them to a counseling session, that could be really helpful. Um, But if you see things that you feel like are dangerous um, in terms of, you know, a a likelihood that they may harm themselves or someone else, then you actually can get um, a judge or the police department or a mental health facility to involuntarily um, commit someone to the hospital for a period of 72 hours, I believe, in most states um, so that they can be evaluated. So, you know, you don't want to have to take that step if you don't have to. But if you definitely feel like somebody's in danger of hurting themselves or someone else, then you can take that process. Um, But otherwise, I think just really being there for them, letting them know that you're there if they want to talk, um, being careful about gossiping within the family about this, like, oh, Uncle Craig, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Careful not to spread rumors and, you know, stigmatize further this person when really the goal is to try to get them to some help. 
Anybody else want to elaborate on that? Um, this is one of those selfish questions because, you know, in, in my family, you know, I have someone that insists that they don't have a problem and they do have the symptoms. And I've told them time and time again, this is what the symptoms are. This is falling in alignment with bipolar disorder. Um, and they refuse to seek help. So, and it's, it's something that is affecting their quality of life with mm -hmm. respect to employment, um, not being able to keep a job very long, not being able to have solid relationships for very long. So what, what else can be done if they just say, I, I don't have a problem? I am glad Dr. Joy mentioned symptoms. A lot of times we get so busy and we get wrapped up in our own personal lives that we overlook what are often red flags. We figure, well, that person is always quiet when they could actually be very withdrawn. Well, that person always has an attitude when for a while you may not have noticed that they just up and suddenly stop taking interest in things that was once important to them. You know, you, you could say that someone in your your family was a bit snappy, not realizing that they were short and curt with people for days and days on end. We overlook things that when people are actually crying out for help, we figure, oh, that's just that person. And a good example of that is Adam Lanza. Before he went into Newtown, he had been withdrawn and isolated since about the sixth grade. He had been exhibiting self-harm behavior since about the second grade. His mother took the disability money, started buying him guns because she figured that was just a hobby, and we know what mm. happened afterwards. So it, it, it's good to recognize, not just with other people, but also within ourselves, what some of these warning signs or what some of the symptoms are and try to talk to a person in a way that is receptive um, without the gossip, without the blame. Tough love doesn't work with mental illness. Reverse psychology doesn't work with mental illness. It's good to recognize certain behaviors and certain patterns and then try to sit and talk to someone, which is you want to be direct but not too firm. An easy icebreaker is just to say, you know, I've noticed some things. I really don't understand, but I want to, and I'll listen if you just talk to me. That goes over a whole lot better than you need to open up and say, so what the hell is wrong with you? And right. you need to None of that works. It's just real simple. I'll listen, and I won't talk until you stop talking, and then let's see what we can do together. Got a question from Twitter. This is from at face in the crowd. Um, they want to know, does anybody know of any POC uh, therapists or psychologists or psychiatrists that are located in Houston? So I don't have a direct answer, but what I can say is that I started a, a Google survey to collect uh, LGBTQ friendly and uh, POC therapists in the United States. So I'm more than happy to look at the responses I received thus far. And I definitely want to continue sending that link around so that we could have a database of sorts of these individuals who are culturally competent and who are our community will feel comfortable speaking to. I also don't have a direct um, link for a person, but if you look um, for the Association of Black Psychologists, if you look for their web page, they have a directory of members um, that are practicing across the country. And for something more immediate, if you just dial the national 211 
hotline. It's uh, United Ways 211. Your area code will pop up in that database when they answer the phone so they can tell you different mental health resources, whether that's a hotline, a clinician, a support group, anything like that in your area or in your county. They may or may not know whether it's culturally competent or not, but that's a good place to just start, just to open up and get an assessment and to guide you in the right direction. All right. Great information. So we're going to take a quick break um, for our commercial, and then we should be back in just a few moments. To listen to the conclusion of this podcast, please join the Twibularity at www.support.twib.today. That's www.support.twib.today. And support independent media. Da, da, da. 